What did you dream about becoming as a child? Were those dreams thinking about becoming a crime-fighting superhero, solving world issues like hunger, playing in the NFL? Maybe some or none of that at all. What if on the way to pursuing your dreams, you dealt with things like depression, like bullying? You had adversity after adversity, things like injuries. How would you react and respond to that? Would it change your dreams? Today, I'm talking with former Big Ten champ, Rose Bowl champ, Cotton Bowl champ, NFL retired Taiwan Jones. Taiwan's going to share stories about his childhood dreams, the adversity that he faced along the way, the way he overcame moment after moment after moment to still pursue some of his biggest and wildest dreams. And from his days at Anchor Bay High School to Michigan State, Spartan Nation to the NFL, and then wrapping that up, closing that chapter in his life and starting a new one. Welcome to At the Podium. Hello again, and welcome to At the Podium with Manuel Mesqua. I am Manuel Mesqua, and as you all know, I'm obsessed with understanding how high-achieving people operate, how they pursue their dreams, and learning from their life stories. The podcast is meant to give you the tools to achieve your biggest dreams and reach your highest potential through learning from the paths of those that we interview. And as I mentioned earlier, today I'm here with my friend Taiwan Jones. Taiwan, welcome. Thank you for having me, Manny. <laughs> so Looking we, forward to it. We were chuckling about a couple things, but I wanted to see if you'd be willing to open up with the story of Panama City Spring Break. Okay. All right. So it's like I was telling Manny, at Michigan State, the years I was playing there, they call them the golden years. You know, we were so close. We literally did everything together. So imagine at least 12 of us, you know, everybody playing, everybody starting, you know, key players on the team. We go down to Panama City Beach. We don't fly. You know, we, we go to the airport, rent some, you know, small cars. Some people, we were someone in Impala, some people in RAV4s, and there was like four to five people to a car. We drive down there. We get down there. You know, they had one rule. Don't bring outside guests into the condo. We had one teammate who didn't agree with that rule, so he kept trying to bring people into the condo. They stopped him the third time. The guy calls us and tells us, we literally just got there. Maybe we've been there for four hours, just shower, getting ready to go out. He calls me and tells us we're getting kicked out four hours into the. So we all our stuff, we just went grocery shopping. We're on a curb in Panama City Beach, you know, in college. You don't have money in college. You know, it was no NIL. It was none of that. You know, we was going on there with whatever money we had. Most of it was paid for the trip. So we're on a curb with raw meat, vegetables. Whatever else we had over there, and we had nowhere to stay. We're calling our parents, you know, asking them to Western Union some money because cash app and all those things weren't a thing then. We had to go to Walmart to try to, you know, get some money from our parents. And we ended up in a motel, a motel which only had two motel rooms. And like I said, it was 12 of us. So it was probably like six people to a motel room. So we had no choice but to be close. We're in a motel room. We see roaches crawling around the ground. We ended up staying for two days. And after that, we end up going back to just driving back to Michigan because we're like, okay, maybe it's not our, our time. So just imagine how quiet a 16-hour ride is, spending all this money that we don't even get to have fun in. But, I mean, at the end of the day, we still tell the story to this day. It was my senior speech. I told the story. Coach D didn't find it as funny. 
<laughs> but uh, but you know, every all of our teammates they understood like you know where it came from and you know how close we were. Like just to be able to do that and leave out of there without no fights because honestly, we should have beat up the guy who kept trying to bring in the girls or whoever he's trying to bring into the the motel room after they told him the first time not to. But it was a good time, man. And uh, you know that's one of the stories that you know one of my favorite stories from college because it just shows even handling adversity. We could have just turned around and just went straight home there, you know, and just called it a trip. We tried to make it work, stayed at a motel, which was very uncomfortable, but we had each other. We're still laughing, playing jokes. I wish, like I said, social media was bigger back in the day, so we had like more videos, you know, and more, yeah. you know, more things to like have those memories. But the nostalgia, but yeah, just remembering. I'm sure that everybody, Shalit Calhoun, Jeremy Langford, Lawrence Thomas, all these people can tell you the story, man, and different versions of the story. And this is probably one of the best stories I had in college. I love that story because before we started the conversation today, Taiwan and I were talking about just the greatness of the football program in those days. You're talking about a Big Ten championship, a Rose Bowl, Cotton Bowl, some of the best players that have ever come out of that program and go and play at the league at the highest level of playing football. And we were talking about how you become close, and that's the story that came up. Story. I'm yeah. telling you, like, because all of those guys, were, we were all pretty much in the same class. And then, then maybe it's a class above, like, Jeremy Langford and, you know, a couple of, like, oh, Tony sure. Lippitt, they were, you know, a class above us, but we're considered the same class. You yes. Know, we all got along. Like, I know a lot of programs, like, even when I went to train for the combine, they had no clue that, you know, you could be that close as a team, you know, because some right. of us training in the same spot. They're like, you guys are close. And we're like, yeah, I mean, we did, we literally did everything together. And then they were like, oh, we rarely talk to each other on our team, you know, besides practice. And, you know, they had the little clicks. So I think that's what helped us win and helped us, you know, be successful those years. That's wonderful. So great story. Great way to kick off. Let's go back to the very beginning of like your childhood. When did football hit your radar? When did you start to realize like, hey, football is going to be my jam? I mean, I don't know. Uh, we talked, like we talked earlier, you know, I wanted to be a doctor. You, you want to be everything you see on TV, you know? And I wasn't, you know, big into sports then back as a kid. My dad played basketball in college and had a, a short stint with the Chicago Bulls. So he wanted me to play basketball. So basketball was all I knew. And then we went to uh, the church we went to. The, one of the guys was, he was a coach for the Little League team. So he's like, you know, bring him out. You know, I had big size to bring him out, get him a part of the team. And once I stepped on the field, like, it's like, I never wanted to go back. And that's when... The team I played for was the Eastside Falcons. So I was like, okay, there's an NFL team called the Eastside Falcons. And at that time, the quarterback was Michael Vick, one of the most exciting players. So now I fall in love with football, fall in love with Michael Vick. You know, I'm 100% committed. I'm in there. My dad's mad because he wants me to play basketball. And I'm saying football is my sport. That was like one of the biggest things for me, like just trying to, when I finally start playing football and then seeing this electrifying player like my, and Michael Vick play, I was like, yeah, that's it for me. You know, and then I got to high school and just took it to the next level. How was it? What's your fondest memory of playing at Anchor Bay? Whew. My fondest memory, well, I started at Cardinal Mooney. It was a Catholic school oh, my freshman sure. year. And then I ended up leaving there because I was, you know, being hazed. I was the only black kid in the school in, oh. in Marine City, you know. So I was uh, cried to my parents. I'm like, yo, I got to get out of here. You know, I, I can't be here. You know, I'm not fun because I'm younger than everybody in my class. So when I got to college, I was 17. So I think I started high school, maybe the 12 or 13. Like, I'm young. 12, 13, playing against 18-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, I, finally, they was like, okay, we're going to get you back to Anchor Bay, which is the middle school I went to. So I'm, I'm already familiar with those people, you know, all these kids we already grew up with. So I ended up going back to Anchor Bay. From there, I started on varsity. And like, it was kind of like being at Michigan State. I'm playing with the same kids that I grew up with, the same kids I'm close with. So, I, was, you know, I'm big on camaraderie and, you know, having like these relationships with your teammates because that's how you end up winning. And while I was at Anchor Bay, I think we made the playoffs for the first time in maybe like 10 years, my senior year. 
So, like I said, that, that was my class. So that's why I'm like, that's why I'm so big on like relationships and sure. being like, even my teammates today from Michigan State, like I'm close to a lot of them. We talk all the time. They support me. They show up to my gym. I show up to their events, charity events, whatever they need. That's just the type of people we are. Well, and that's how we met, yeah. right? You showed up to an event that Coach D'Antonio was speaking at, and he made it a point to make that clear. Yeah, right? He didn't even know I was coming. Yeah, that's super powerful. Going back to those days at Anchor Bay, was there a teammate you had that you really kind of like looked up to that you said, man, I want to play at his level. I want to play like him. I want to be like him. Was there somebody on that team back in that day that really set the tone? No, because Anchor Bay, we weren't known for football. We were known for yeah, wrestling. Okay. You know, we we're known for wrestling. So we had nobody to go play college. I don't yeah. think ever. Maybe D3, there was nobody. So when I stepped on the field, you know, I was like, okay, this is my chance. I could be the first person out of Anchor Bay to make it D1, make it to the NFL. And fortunately, I was. So Good for you. the coaches believed in me. The coaches took their time with me. Like I said, I came in, I was young. I was right. leaving a situation where I was bullied and hazed. And, you know, so that kind of affected me too. You know, I want to make sure I'm bring me right back in here to play on varsity at a much bigger school, yeah. you know, with a bunch of different players and a predominantly white school. So, you know, I was kind of skeptical at first, but they took their time with me. And, you know, and I, that's when I just started falling back in love with the sport. And I want to come back to when we get to the point of the conversation today where we're speaking about the business that you started and that you're running today very successfully, I want to come back to the bullying. Okay. Because I know you're pouring into student athletes today every single day. You just came from a workout and I love it. And I want, I want to talk about bullying and how that helped shape some of where you got to and why you're back in the business of molding young men and women to be their best athlete and their best self, right? Let's talk about the journey from Anchor Bay to Michigan State. I don't think a lot of people know that story. Take us through what your senior year looked like playing at Anchor Bay. I mean, you were standout. Everybody knew your name in the entire state. Offers were coming in. What was that experience like? How did you narrow it down? What role did your parents play in the school that you chose? Tell us that story. My first time, like even being like introduced to like the recruiting world was my sophomore year. Going into my junior year, and first thing you know, I get a call. You know, they call over to PA. Hey, we have we need Tuan Jones. We have somebody here to speak to him. I don't know who it is. You know, I'm like, am I in trouble? You know, I'm <laughs> I'm in trouble. You know, everything. You know, when you walk to that that principal's office, it's like everything in your mind. Like, what did I do today? What did That's I do last right. week? You know, is am I did I do something? I go downstairs, and it's uh, um, Dan Enos. Dan Enos at the time was my recruiting coach. So he talked to me, had the Michigan State polo on. And ever since then, I'm like, oh, man, I guess I'm, you know, I'm really that good. You know, all the co- all the teachers, my head coach, you know, because they've never seen that before at Anchor Bay. So now you got Michigan State, which is, you know, one of the top programs in the country, coming to see this athlete at your school. It's kind of a big deal. So after that, the next thing you know, like following that visit, a lot of more visits start coming. I think I got like Toledo. I start getting Michigan. I start getting Georgia, Purdue, Indiana. And it start, you know, becoming more real to me. Like I got to take this seriously now. You know, sure. I, have to, I have to buckle down and I want to get to the next level. I don't want to be like somebody who just had, can say, oh, I had all these offers. I could have done that and I didn't do it. So going through that and going through my junior year was tough for me because my junior year before the season, the scrimmage, I tore my meniscus. So I had to sell out the first mm-hmm. four games. Right after that, I came back, you know, I did my recovery. I think they made me sit out for five, six weeks just to make sure I was good. So I came back for like the end of the season. The game I come back, I dislocate my shoulder. So I played maybe one game that whole season. And all these, I didn't commit yet. I had no commission. Now I'm worried, like, you know, because I hear you hear stories all the time about colleges, you know, taking away scholarships because injuries and things like that. So 
I ended up coming back for basketball season, which Coach D ended up coming to a basketball game and, you know, watched me play probably my worst game I ever had. And <laughs> the worst game I ever had in high school, man. And, you know, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, they're definitely not going to pick me up, man. I, yeah. You know, I, I get hurt this year. Then this game, I probably only had like eight points when I, you know, I normally was scoring like 18 <laughs> or 20. I ended up coming back that next season and I just had like a standout year. And then right before the season, Michigan State stood by my side, you know, so they, they didn't go anywhere. They always showed that interest in me, whether I had the injuries or not. So I was like, okay, before the season, let me commit to Michigan State. So now that whole season, all the pressure was off because I'm already, I already know where I'm going. Yes. You know, so that was, that was like the biggest thing for me. And then just going to Michigan State right after going to the visits and, you know, my family just falling in love with the coaches and seeing how the coaches and the staff, they didn't give up on me. You know, because a lot of teams, a lot of teams did. They was like, oh, you know, this guy's only 16 and he already had a, he had a meniscus tear, had surgery on it. Then he had a dislocated, you know, at that point I seemed injury prone. To me, it was a no brainer. You know, I went to Michigan. I went to all the other schools and they were nice, but it was not like a different feel. Like when you walk on the Michigan State campus and everybody's like a family, everybody like, I could already tell we were going to win when I was there. That's awesome. What is your fondest memory of your visits to Michigan State prior to starting on campus your freshman year? It was a little Giants game. I haven't been to many college games, you know, until I start getting recruited. So I think this might have been my second or third game. And, you know, it's Michigan State. I don't think, were we down? I can't believe it. I, don't, I can't remember if Michigan State remember. was down or not. I just remember it was kicking a field goal. Everybody's on their feet, you know, thinking, I think we were trying to take it to overtime. Or, you know, I don't even win the game, something. Next thing you know, they fake it. Who was it? I think it's Charlie Gant in the corner of the end zone. They scored, and I seen like the crowd, and I seen the excitement. And, you know, it was so electric, and I was like, "Okay, I got to come here." You see, the, you see the student sex. You see everybody. You see everybody run on the field. Like it. it's, just, it's just something about like just being in like that moment. Yeah, you know, because I'd never been to a game like that. Yeah, because I went to the Michigan game as well when Larry Caper broke off that run oh. in, the, in the end zone in overtime. But I left before because I had homecoming that day, so I didn't get the experience. The full, but I stayed the whole game. It was a night game. So everybody's already rowdy from the night game, tailgate yeah. the whole day. So when that happened and you just hear everybody around you screaming, going crazy, hugging each other, you know, strangers, just hugging yes. each other. I was like, okay, I got to come here. This, That's is, awesome. this is it for me. Yeah. Was there somebody that was visiting Michigan State at that same time that ended up being a teammate of yours that you hit it off with during the process? All of them. So I came in with Connor Cook, Shalit Calhoun, Darren Harris, Lawrence Thomas, Joe Heath, like all these guys, we all came in together and we were all called Ed Davis. Me and the crazy part about it, Ed Davis, me and him played Little League together. That Little League team I was telling you about. Oh, you're kidding. Me, me and Ed was on the same Little League team. <laughs> I didn't even know me and Ed were going to be on the same team until he showed up on campus. Because I, I never paid attention to like the, you know, the sites and stuff like that. Yes. So I didn't know he was going to be my teammate. Wow. And we literally played together since we were kids. That's awesome. You know, we hit it off right away. What a great Lawrence group. Thomas, me and him, we played on the um, national seven on seven team. Yeah. Then me and him, we both commit. We were talking to each other at the same time. He's like, yeah. I'm gonna commit. I was like, man, if you commit, I'm gonna commit. And then we ended up committing both at the same time. So I was comfortable with him. Then we said we had another linebacker from DC, which happened to be Darian. Yeah. And then me and Darian ended up being roommates, and that's my boy, my best friend. You know, so everything just like works out for a reason. Like everybody in there, you know. I want to give a special shout out to my friend, Dana Cornelius. Dana's the CEO, co-owner of Sporta Kings, the, the gear that I am rocking today. Yes, folks, I do wear more than a blue suit, white shirt, and a tie. Check out their website, S-O-K-F-Y.com. If you drop in the word podium in the discount code, they're going to send you an amazing, amazing, amazing package of whatever you order with 20% off. Check it out. Sport of Kings. Love Dana and Tiffany. We've got Darian coming up on the show in October. Nice. October 17th. Oh, yeah. Do you have a, a D. Harris story? 
I got to think. I got a bunch of from that guy, man. You like, see we, how beautiful we, we, we a together. child they have? Yeah, I yeah. mean, him and Liv, that baby, that I'm baby like beautiful. blown yeah. away. Like, I'm like, <laughs> That's magazine yeah. day one. I remember because I mean, to us, like, it's still my boy. I, to me, I'm like, I mean, we still kids. You told me you had a baby. I said, What? You have yes. a baby, you know? But I had to realize, man, we are, and we're getting older. You know, yes. it's hard to accept. I get up out of bed now, bones cracking. Yeah. You know, it's, it's good to see him flourishing, seeing his family flourishing, and like, you know, what he's doing up at Michigan State. Oh, it's program, amazing what know? he's doing with the program and Coach Tucker, yeah, right? 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full tilt, man. He is such a grinder. Yeah, he is. High intensity, yeah. high octane. And that's what I like because we feed off each other. Darian, you know, he does his thing. Arjun, one of our other boys who played cornerback at Michigan State, he's up thriving in Canada and Toronto working with, uh, I think it's whatever the, the stadium is where they play basketball. Like he's like one oh, of the head. The Raptors? Yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. one of the head commands of all the events there. Just seeing like all these people like do yes. their own thing. We kind of feed off each other because he's like, all right, he's pushing me. He's pushing me without even, you know, knowing he's pushing me because I'm like, oh, you know, that's my boy. I don't want to let him down. You know, I want to be able to say like, hey, we all own this together. Like you, we all, we're all doing this. When we come back together, we don't want to have anybody like feel like, you know, they're not accomplishing their goals because they can do it. When I visited with Coach D'Antonio, he struck me as somebody who has great vision, but can also communicate and really inspiring story to get men to just gravitate towards that. You know, he spoke about the Rose Bowl. He spoke about the vision he had that it was just going to happen before the season even started. And I just was like, I was like a little boy just mesmerized, like hanging on to every word he was telling me as he was telling me the story of how he had envisioned it coming to into fruition. Everything he said came true. Yeah, he said, sure. we, we will be the ones, the Rose Bowl, we, well, the Big Ten Championship game, we'll be playing in that game. Although we didn't go my freshman year when Kirk Cousins was out there and he made oh, that video as yes, well. Yes. Like we, we were right there. You know, so it's just uh, everything that he was saying, like we just believed in it. Like if he's passionate about it, or right, we're passionate about it. We got you back. And that's how we were as a program. What are one or two of your fondest memories of him? Coach D? From during that time. Oh, man. One, he was my mentor. So everybody, every uh, player that came in was assigned a mentor. You know, some people had Coach Manny. Some people had Coach Guest. Some people had their position coach. Mine was Coach D. Whenever I needed any advice or even when we had like our monthly meetings, you know, he came in and he told me his expectations of me. And then I didn't want to let him down. So that's why, you know, I did everything I could to try to meet those expectations. But at the same time, like the, the guy is funny, man. Like he'll he'll yell at us in the team meeting room. And all of a sudden, like he'll yell at us and, you know, everybody's just quiet. And next thing you know, he'll just sit there and be like, okay, so what's going on? And then he like everybody just starts laughing. Like, it's just like times like that. Like, you, like he's just like a fun, funny guy to be around. Like, people see him like on the sideline and see how serious he is. He really cares about his players. He's actually really funny. Like, if, you, if you're around him long enough and you I've just see like that. his personality and everything, yeah. like some of the stories we have, I think it was the Baylor game. The Baylor game, before we, we had a meeting, that's Eagles. So, Eagles were like the 10, you know, 10 leaders on the football team. It, was, it could have been like five on offense, five on defense. I was part of that meeting. We sat there and we talked before we went out to Texas. And we was like, what color pants, what uniforms we want to wear? We said, white jerseys, green pants. He said, okay, let's do white jerseys, green pants. And we get down to Baylor. It's time to take pictures. We come out, white jersey, green pants. This man loses it. What are y'all wearing? I never said, I never proved this. Like, we're getting, I'm telling you, we're getting cussed. We're getting cussed out. Like, literally, like, he's, and then one of our teammates who was on the Eagles, so he told us, he said, everybody get up from this picture, go in, we'll change into the white pants. No, actually, no. We didn't have the white pants. He, we had to send one of the equipment guys back to East Lansing from Texas the day before the game to go get white pants. No. That's why you see, we're wearing white pants against Baylor when we came back. 
So one of the guys was the Eagles, right? So he was injured. So he's on crutches, right? We're, we're all taking off because we know he's upset. So we're all like kind of a, a, a short little trot to the uh, back to the locker room to change out of it. So he's on crutches. Coach G's walking right next to him, just yelling, just yelling at him because he can't move. He's on crutches. He can only go so fast. So but that's one of the stories like we always tell, like when we go to the Sadler event and like, you know, things yes. like that, because as it shows, like, you know, who he is, he's funny. Like we were, we weren't even mad about it. It's like, that's just Coach D. That's you know, we, we, cause we, we literally sat there and we, we voted on it. We said white jerseys, green pants. We come out there with green pants and my man loses it. It was like one of the best, that's another one of the best stories I have at MSU. That one in the PCB, hands down. That's awesome. You're playing at Michigan State, have a great career, recognized as a top-performing linebacker, a lot of energy and excitement for you to go to the league. Talk us through, maybe share a story about preparing for the combine, what that experience was like, and then going into the NFL as an undrafted free agent. The combine, it was it was good. I always wish that I would have trained somewhere else uh, just because I wanted more, like, attention. Like, when I, where I was training at, we had Melvin Gordon, Shaq Thompson. We had, like, seven first-round picks and then three second-round picks. So when the ESPNs come around, they do their stories. They only focus on them. So who yes. are the strength coaches focused on? Yeah. Those guys. You know? So even, like, when I need, like, the little extra attention. Because when I got there, I had to lose, I think it was 15 to 20 pounds in a month and a half. How much were you weighing then? Whew. My, after the last game of Baylor, I was 260. I had to get down to 245 by the combine. I made it on the dot. Awesome. 245 on the dot, but at the same time, I'm too busy worrying on losing the weight. Like yeah. the, the technique and everything, running the 40, because the yeah. 40 is all technique. Yes. You know, so like me having that extra time with them, I didn't get it because they were focused on the other guys. But I went to the combine. I wasn't happy with like my results because I knew like the training I got wasn't. I wish I would have stayed back home with the trainer I had growing up. Sure. Because when I came back and I trained with him after the combine, I had a much better pro day. Yeah. You know. So, uh, but at the same time, they're gonna take those combine numbers over the pro yeah, day. Yeah, that's a big deal. You know, it's a big deal. Right. Pro day, anybody can run a four two. Anybody can run a four three or pro day. It's all about who's quicker on the thumb. The combine, it was a good experience, but it was a stressful experience. You know, and I don't think a lot of people know that. Like you get it, you barely get any sleep. And to wake up four o'clock in the morning to do a drug test, you have all these meetings you have to do, and that the you do all of this stuff before you do any type of testing. The testing is the last day. Like you do, you st- you're up for. I think I think the combine is three days. The, for the two days you're there, you're doing. You meet with almost every single NFL team. You have individual meetings with the teams that have you on the list. You have to do drug tests. You have to do all these different screenings. You have to do. I had two surgeries in college and my shoulder, so I had to get MRIs. I remember I was up to two o'clock in the morning to get an MRI. Mm-hmm. Had to do a drug test at 4 a.m. And then from the drug test, you don't go back to sleep. You have breakfast and then you got to do more meetings and stuff. And then the last yeah. day is, you don't run a 40 to literally the last day. It was stressful and it was like a lot of, you know, it's, it's mental. Sure. Like, like a lot of things in life are, but like this was like more so mental than being, you know, sure. than talent. But I went through the process, you know, I entrusted, you know, and my skills and like let my film do the, do the talking. Coming to, you know, draft day, I'm, I'm getting third round, fourth round, latest fifth round. I invite my family over, my girlfriend at the time. You know, I had a bunch of people over, friends. A couple of my teammates came down, Darian, Demetrius Cox. You know, they're all waiting for me to get called, you know, on the second day because that's third, fourth round. Don't get called. Miami Dolphins call me. They tell me, we want to take you. We have four picks in the fifth round. I wasn't one of them. So then I'm like, oh, I'm sitting there. So I leave. I leave from the party. And I just go sit upstairs, you know, by myself. Yeah. And I'm like... I'd rather watch the rest of it by myself because I'm, I feel like I let these people down. It's downstairs. They came from Lansing, came from all over. I think at the time, Snapchat was around. So now you got Snapchat, you know, draft day. So it's, to me, it's embarrassing, especially when I'm being told this and being told that. 
Then my agent calls me after the draft and said, you have two places to go. He said, we really want you Miami and then New York. To me, I was a little bit bitter. So I said, let's do New York. Because Miami, they promised me, but then they didn't even take me. So how can I trust them? Yeah. Me going back on, I wish I would have went to Miami. Why? You know, the defense they ran was the defense I ran in college. It's the fourth team. Uh, you know, and then I've yes. seen like some of the players yeah. who who also got picked up non-drafted free agent, and they've been they stuck around for a long time. You know, we played against each other in you know college, and me as a competitor, I knew I was better than them. I knew I was faster than them. I knew like I had more, I was more physical, more athletic. But they stuck around because I think it was a different coach that me, like my coaching staff, they were good, but like they were just it was so it's a lot of pressure. Sure. You know, it was so much pressure. I was behind David Harris, who played 12 years at Michigan. Oh, yeah. Demario Davis, who sure. right now is an all pro. So, you know, and then they had like other vets behind them. But my first year, I practice squad and I worked my way up to the active roster. The next year, I went into camp. I think I played the four. I started the last game of the preseason. That's the game to make or break you. I had nine right. tackles. I had nine tackles. Interception and two pass breakups and almost a fumble recovery. And the next, the coaches they tell me I'm good. You want to make the team? You're good. I go back to East Lansing. You know, it was the first game I think they're playing Youngstown State or somebody Eastern Kentucky. And that day I got cut. So then I was like, you know, now now I'm just, you know, I'm stressing. I don't know what to do now. Yeah, after you know that saying? performance, after that performance, I'm like what more do I have to do? Yeah, you know, especially I mean, of course I'm not going to be starting over David Harris. He's been there for 12 years, you know, and he's on his way out. So I'm thinking, you know, they're grooming me to be. The next David Harris, but then, you know, I'm back home. That was a rough time for me being back home, but then they called me back. Then they got rid of me again. They called me back because some people got injured, but then sure. they, yep, and then they end up letting me go. So it was tough. Like that, the, the whole process of the NFL was so up and down, and a lot of guys or a lot of people don't know, you know, how it is, but it's, it's stressful. It makes the game not fun anymore. I've heard that mm -hmm. a number of times now from people that I know and respect very much that. At some point in time, the yo-yo and the roller coaster like experience, just you just lose your love lose it. for going through it. Yep. I remember I remember sitting outside and during camp, sitting outside of my hotel room with uh two of my other teammates who were also rookies that came in. Then when the whole time we're just sitting there like worried. We might have one bad play, but the whole time that one bad play can get you out of there. You know, that one bad play can get you sent back home or, you know, get you opportunity to not ever play in the NFL again. So we're just sitting there worrying like every single every single day. Everybody's not gonna have a perfect practice, but everybody's gonna make those one, you know, one play where you made the wrong read or one play where you're supposed to come downhill and you get sealed out. You know, and at that point, you're like, it happens. But we can't think like that. It happens. We can't. We have to be perfect, especially as undrafted. You know, like other people, like first round draft picks, second round, third round draft picks. I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen one of my teammates. He got so many opportunities. But if I did it one time, I'm gone. Yeah. That's, that's just how it is. And like people don't realize that. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I've heard from others that a lot of that, the fact that they get so much runway if they're a high draft pick is because someone's job's on the line for having drafted wrong. So they continue to create excuses and explanations for another shot. But wow. us, us, especially undrafted, they let you in anytime. And Jill walked you in and you were like casting a massive shadow over here. I mean, you could just literally throw a helmet on right now and probably strap it up right yeah. now. With me, I'm at the point where now I'm, I can't even watch sports now. I don't watch football. I don't want everybody, but everybody think I'm crazy. Like, you don't watch football, really? like hard knocks, all that stuff. I almost did it last night because I was just up. <laughs> I, was, I was up, I was up, and I, and I saw, only reason I was about to do it because I saw Eminem post that he was on Hard Knock. Yes. So I'm like, you know, let me see, you know what, love, let me see. But then I went to it, and I just X out of it. I can't, nothing, anything with sports besides Michigan State football, I won't watch it.
Like, yeah, I won't even go to the games. Everybody, oh, you going to the No. I can't. Like, me, personally, I just can't. Like, it, I, I have no love for it at all. Like, I won't even I – mean, like, I probably won't even – if my kids want to play, whatever. But at the same time, I wouldn't advise them to play. Who was your biggest advocate? Who do you think along the way? I love the story. I mean, obviously, it's in your DNA. Your dad playing ball at mm-hmm. a high level, right? To, for my beloved Chicago Bulls. Love it. I'm from <laughs> Chicago. So I'm like, you said Bulls. I'm like, immediately going through my head. I'm like, oh, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones. Do I know him? But who was your biggest advocate in getting you through all those injuries at such a young age to stick with the sport? My family. Who my, in your family? My mom, though? my dad, both of them. Yeah. My grandparents as well. Yeah. Do you still have your grandparents today? I uh, lost my granddad. COVID. I'm sorry to hear my, that. Um, my other granddad, he died when I was like, how was I? I think maybe like two. So I don't really remember him that much, but I still have both my grandmas here. You know, so they're, yeah, they're still here. So they, I just, she just called me the other day, asked me what I was cooking for Labor Day. Yeah. They're still here. Your family? Yeah, my family, pretty much. Sister. I had my nephew at the time. Okay. Um, you know, he looked up to me. So I oh, couldn't yeah. let him down. You know, yeah. like he's walking around, even on, on game days. If he's not at the game, he has the helmet and the jer- <laughs> my jersey on. You know, so, you know, it's people, I couldn't let them down. You know, so when I did get cut and I get, did get released, it was like more so I let them down. It wasn't so much about me. You know, it was so much more about like my family and like my friends and like people that believed in me. I feel like I let them down. I've heard you say that now three times in like the 30 minutes we've been together. Samantha and I, you know, having Avon Atlas at 14 and 12 and they're playing sports at Detroit Country Day, you know, we're so proud of them, but we're often so sensitive and worried about the negative self-talk. Like I'm the biggest talker to myself. People say things to me and like people look at me waiting for me to respond. I'm like, man, I talk so much more to myself already today. Right. Like what that person said to me means nothing. That's the last thing Mm -hmm. that I'm going to react to. But I'm kind of hearing that from you too. So- Obviously, it's a very common thing, especially f- within people who have expectations of themselves. Talk to me about that. Oh no, I think it. Like I said, I think it stems back from high school. When I told you I was being bullied because the only reason I went to the Cardinal Money was for football. It had nothing to do with the academics. It had something to do with going to a Catholic school because I was supposed to go to Brother Rice or oh. St. Mary's, but it was too far. I live all the way in twenty-six mile, like New Baltimore, Michigan. My mom was let me stay on campus, and the yeah. commute was. Yeah. You know, my parents aren't doing that. They both forget about it. So I ended up going to Cardinal Mooney. Like I said, I was bullied every day, like the black jokes. And, you know, they pa- they passed them off as jokes. But yeah, after a while, not, I'm not, I'm not, not, you know, I'm not dumb. I'm not, you know, I'm, uh, even though I'm a kid, like I'm smart. You know, I know, yeah. I know what you're doing. And one, at one point, it became too much. Like I said, and I told my parents, you know, I'm done. So then this is when all the, all the kids from the team were coming over to stopping by my house apologizing and telling me how much they want me back on the team and how much, you know, they care about me. And, you know, they just thought it was jokes. They didn't mean any harm by it. So, you know, they tell me, I'm thinking that they care about me. And at the end of the day, like, you know, the damage has been done. I want to just go back to where I'm comfortable with playing, you yeah. know, people that I know, plus it's a bigger school. So after that, all the kids that told me they care about me, I never heard from them again. So I was like, now I'm back in my mind, I'm young. I'm like, and people only care about me if I play football. That's right. You know, so it's just, so that's why, like, I, I feel like I had to play, like, I had to be the best at football. I had to be the best at Anchor Bay. You know, all these, the players, the coaches, the first, the, when I first got to Anchor Bay, first person I met was the football coach before I even got my schedule. So it's just like, you know, everything is around football, football, football. So now when I'm done and now I have nobody, you know, I'm not playing anymore. It's tough. It's like, it's like, man, do these people still care about me and I'm not playing football? Are they really genuinely about, they care about my feelings or they just care about me as an athlete? That's right. 
you know. It was tough for me to grasp because I would come back. The first time I got cut, I'm walking around Meyer, the same person that I'll see when I was playing or when I came home from college. Who first person to come up to me, hey man, how's it going? He walked right past me. Same person. It's crazy how it happened. Like it's the same person I used to see all the time that you admire. I don't know how. It always happened. I always see him admire. Hey man, how you doing, man? How's football going? Oh, we're happy for you. See him, I see him when I get when I get cut. You know, everybody knows I got cut. Look me right in my eyes and walk right past me. So I was like, all right, that was like the first day. I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta try to get back on the field. I'm, I'm trying hard to get back on the field. Wow. I, I tried to do the AF, I did the XFL, I tried to do, you know, all these different leagues. Yeah. Just to get back on the field, just to get that sense of um, some type of importance, you know? Almost like external validation. 100%. Right? Yep. It took me a while. Like, I dealt with depression, anxiety, all of that. Like, I'm in therapy now just because I'm like, I need to talk to somebody because me, I was, I hold, I held everything in. This is the first time I'm like, speaking on it ever i mean i told my parents obviously but like it took me four years to tell them three years to tell them like, yeah. this is like the the first time like i was like all right let me just say you know because it sure. feels better to like talking to my therapist it's talk it's better to get it out well and it's not whether it's sports or business anyone who i would think at least because i i'm picking up what you're laying down yeah. right it resonates for me i go through peaks and valleys of like when things are great and I'm performing at a high level and people are like, oh man, great job. Like, oh, hey, can you come speak here? Hey, can, can you come speak there? Hey, can you share on this? Can you run training? Like, it, it makes good. It, yeah, it makes, makes me feel, feel like I then have when value. It stops, it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's- For me, like the switch is, am I adding value? Do people see me as someone of value? And it's not so much that I need them to tell me I'm great. But it's that I'm so obsessed with wanting to be great at what I'm doing. If I'm not getting the triggers of I'm sought after because I add value, then I go into these like massive valleys of shitty self-talk and self-defeating thinking. When you get down there, it's hard to come back up. Especially yeah. if you know nothing. But like I said, I, I kept trying to play. I did the AF. You know, so I'm like, okay, I go out there, I sign my contract. Same team with Johnny Manziel. Found, you know, like yeah. this This is a good opportunity yeah, right here. That's right. Signed my contract, called my parents. Yo, I'm back on the team. I worked out. I'm getting my physical now. Everybody's excited. 12 hours later, the league shuts down. Yeah. I, I don't even get to practice one day. Wow. So it was like the league shuts down. I don't get to practice. Then I, you know, finally, you know, I'm back home. Then it's talked about the XFL coming out. That's right. Actually, no, I went up. I ended, <laughs> after the AAF, I ended up trying out. Well, they called me at the trial for the WWE. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I tried out for the WWE. The guy, like, is never in my mind. Like, I watched wrestling as a kid, but never right. in my mind. I'm like, man, I'm going I'm to go in. I'm going to yeah. be a wrestler, man. I'm be like the, the next Rock, <laughs> the next Triple H. But I tried out for the WWE. Didn't make it there because, you know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to do all these flips, man. I, I'm too big for all that. You know, they, I'm tumbling and I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm tumbling and stuff I've never done before. Like I'm, I'm 26 t- at this point. Like, what am I doing? A gymnast. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm like a gymnast, man. I, four, four people at the, four people at the trial left with concussions. Hey, Chad, if you get a chance, I need you to put up an image of Taiwan in like pink tights. Yeah, something. I, I, I still got my picture of me. I'm having to do, I'm going to come out and like do like, you know, how you come out. Uh, you're like, oh, like, you know, yeah. like they put like everybody sitting there watching you, all the other people just trying out. Yeah. And they got like the lights. You come down, like, you know, you come out, WWE, you see them yeah. come out of the, uh, the tunnel the tunnel and everything like that. Yeah. I had to do all this extra stuff. I didn't know what to say. 
I never even practiced. Like, I, I never practiced because there's like, these people, like, they're passionate about it, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah like, they're, they're, these are people that's like, they've been one of those, they're doing like wrestling shows, you know, they're trying to like, you know, kind of like the NFL, like they're yeah. doing, taking the baby steps to get there. Me, I'm just there. That's I'm like, right. Yeah, I'm like, bro, what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> but I end up leaving, and then that's when the XFL is supposed to come out. So the XFL comes out, make the, I get drafted, I go out to LA, then the season gets shut down because of COVID. I'm like, man, I can't catch a break. That's just, it. It's like something after something after something. And that's when. Is that when you knew? Is that when you knew it was time to end yeah, that chapter in yeah. your life and start a new one? Yeah. That and because when I got back from the XFL, I couldn't walk for two weeks. My knees. Like, I, I'm telling you, I couldn't. I'm walking around the house, like, scraping my feet just to get around. Like, I was, at that point, I'm like, man, I'm only 26 at this time. I can't. Yeah. I can't keep so, doing yeah. this. You know, I, I can't. I want to be able to walk my kids around Disney World. And I had them walk me, you know, like, push mm-hmm. me around. So, I just. At that point, I was like, all right, man, I'm probably not going to play again. But then. There's that now COVID, so you're already locked up. You know, you're already locked yes. up. That COVID was tough. You're already locked up and then you have no purpose of what to do after. Like football, like me, like what I've been doing my whole life is done. Yeah. At the same time, COVID happened. My granddad passed. It was a rough year. Like I'm, I'm talking, I was the lowest of low. And then that's how I ended up starting my business. One of my close friends, she ended up going through a breakup. She was out in Vegas. She came back. We went to go get something to eat along with a couple other friends. And then she lost so much weight. She asked me to train her. I mean, I'm like, I'm not trying to be no trainer. Like, that's not what I want to do. And she said, come on. She said, she said, I know you know what you're doing. You know, yeah, I've been doing it my whole life. So I ended up training her. Little did she know, like, yeah, I was low. She was depressed. I was depressed. I think we all, like, saved each other's lives, you know, at that point. Wow. You know what I'm saying? I don't think she yes. knows. But, like, yes. but she literally saved my yes. life. And I'm sure I'm, I yes. saved hers because she was, she came back, had no purpose. When I seen her, like, it's not, it wasn't the same girl I, I met. She was so skinny. She lost 30 yeah. pounds. Wow. In a month, in a month and a half. Wasn't eating. Wow. Like, and that's where Transformation Lab was born. No, that's where I start training. Oh, that's where so you I was training. training. I was training out of my out of my apartment gym. What? I was training at my apartment gym, and I, I used to go to a boxing gym in Pontiac. Okay. And, I, and then when I I went there, I, I had a key to the gym. So the days like you know, because I don't want to get in trouble with my apartment complex gym. I'm bringing like you yeah. know a couple girls in there just to train, and yeah. I'm making money off of it. So let me just use the key. Sometimes I come here. Sometimes come in before the workers come to work, which is eight o'clock. So I used to wake up at seven six to train them. And then the other days when they could, when they want to come later, I go to the boxing gym when nobody else is there just to train them. Sure. So that's that's how I started. It was a gym. Actually, one of the, some dude I, I knew him, but I didn't really know him. He was training at another gym in uh, Sterling Heights, and he said, "Hey man, you don't have to train in your gym." We said, "There's a spot over here for you." And I met, you know, I went over there, met with him, and I I start training over there. And then it was like a bigger facility. I could bring more people in. I'd have to sneak people around. That's you know, right. It wasn't you know it wasn't stressful. I was there. I had a I had a home to train people. And then I was there for about a year. And then at that point, it was time for me to, I was like, you know what? What am I doing training somebody else's gym when I can open up my own? Yeah. You no, know, at that point, I started gaining. I had like 60 clients at the time. You know, I had 60 clients at the time. And then that gym ended up shutting down. So I ended up bringing those trainers to my gym. So now I'm at a, I'm at a place where I own my own gym for 8,400 square feet, half turf, half personal training, boxing. And I have eight trainers that train under me. Like I said, everything, I'm like, everything happens for a reason. So. I'm glad it happened like that, but also like the training thing, like that sense of validation that we get. A hundred percent. You get that a hundred percent. Yeah. Changing people's bodies, changing oh, people's gosh. lives. Because it's so much more than changing the bodies mentally. Like these people, they come to the gym and don't want to leave. You know, and it, yes. it makes me feel good. Like you, you come in here because of the atmosphere that I brought. The atmosphere, That's right. Like, you know, it's not just you go to a gym like Lifetime or, you know, something where you're just paying just to, you know, try to lose weight. Like this is more of a relationship built gym or business that I kind of created. And when did Transformation Lab open? And where is it located? It's been a year. It was a year last Thursday. 
Congratulations, yeah, thank man. Thank you. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, Sterling Heights, Michigan, on 19 Mile in Bandai, right before M59. And if people wanted more information around Transformation Lab, where could they find it online? Google, uh, yep. Transformation Lab, Jim and Sterling Heights. And then also you can find us on Instagram at Transformation Lab underscore. Transformation Lab underscore. Mm-hmm. Not just like that. Like I'm, it's, it's my baby now, you know? So that's like even probably when I just, when I open a gym, I don't know what it is, man. I just feel like all these tasks become, when I open up the gym, I'm sitting at the gym, you know, I'm on my phone in between clients. My phone's blowing up. Twitter's blowing up. I'm like, what's, what's going on? I get drafted by the USFL. No. <laughs> I'm like, bro, I, I got no call. Like normally, you know, you, you draft. I didn't even know You're I was drafted. in the draft. I didn't even know I was in the draft pool. I get drafted to the USFL. So I'm like, okay, maybe I'm going to give it one last run. It's the Michigan Panthers. So I'm thinking it's going to be in Michigan. Yes. No, they're in Birmingham. Oh, so, that's so, right. so I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, okay, Birmingham, Birmingham, Michigan. I'm in Birmingham all the time. I go to yeah. Lust, 220. No. I'm in Birmingham all the time. Uh, no, Birmingham, Alabama. That's right. <laughs> like, you know, now I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't do that, man. I, I just opened up this business. I don't want to leave for some quick money yeah. for a league that I've already been a part of two that just folded, you know? So I don't want to be able, I don't want to leave and then end up losing my business over something that's short term. So I'm going to stick to a long term goal and I end up just staying. And ever since then, like the business Good is growing. Like people, like the way like my business has grown. It's just like, it's tremendous. You know, yeah. it's just like, I get, like this week I got six new clients. Yeah, it's next word week of I, mouth, Next right? week I got two more new clients. Like, it's just like, I keep building, like I'm starting to pass them out now. I even got one of like Demetrius Cox. He just, same thing, athletes going through a hard time. He's from Pittsburgh. He literally got here last Friday to start training at the gym just for, you know, a different setting. Like just try to like, you know, do something different. So that's why I opened up the gym, just to help people. That's why I do like a lot of community work with the gym. We do like these fight nights, you know, it's charity fight. Oh, nights. that's right. We so, talked about yeah, that. So the first one we did, we raised $5,000 and took 25, I think it was like 25 kids to Target and gave them a $500 like stipend. The that's next awesome. one we did one for, it was Valentine's Day. So we did it for like better women who were running from domestic violence, sexual assault. We gave them a $4,000 check. The third one we did in May was for, because a lot of, everybody loves single, you know, talks about single moms. Nobody talks about single dads. You know, and dads. So we did it for another organization in Pontiac. Gave them a $4,000 check just to put in like new equipment for like the gym or whatever they have going over there. And then we're doing the next one. I just announced it yesterday. It's going to be September 30th for veterans because based around 9-11, which is what? Sunday. So we're going to give back to veterans September 30th at 7 p.m. And it's at the gym. Yeah. 300, 400 people that show up at the gym is packed in there. It's packed. We have like seven fights. It, It could be anybody. It could be like two guys. You know, who just started boxing, started training. Like, we don't have just like anybody sitting around. Like, everybody that's, that comes to box has some type of training. Yeah. Like, the last one, we just had uh, a guy who's, he's 7 0 undefeated. He just won his last last fight last Saturday. He's 8 0. We had one guy who won Golden Gloves. We had one guy who's been fighting for 30 years. We got girls that want to get in there. It's for charity, you know? And then we have a DJ, we have food trucks. Good like, for it's, you. It's, 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 it's like a good atmosphere. And like, the reason I do it is to bring the community together. Yeah. There's so many, like, like the bullying thing, I like I said, it affected me so much that like I don't like that feeling. So I, I have white people, I have Chaldean, Albanian, Mexican, black, yeah, like everybody's in the gym and everybody's getting along, and that's multicultural, why multicultural, very diverse, that's, and that's why yeah. I did it. You know, I, I hate going to gyms and you know seeing like it's only like one certain type of people. Yeah, like I mean, at the end of the day, like we're in just twenty, what is it, twenty twenty two, almost twenty twenty three now. And we're still dealing with you know. So that's why like now you get familiar. Like you, I wasn't familiar with Chaldeans ever. My client base is 90% Chaldean. Wow. So, like, it's like I learn yeah. these people. They learn me. Yeah. You know, like, I, one of my boys who, the boxer Jim Pontiac, he's Mexican. Like, I've been around Puerto Rico. I dated Puerto Rican women, but being around Mexican, like, being around sure. there, 
and like everybody in the gym is Mexican. Like you learn so much just from different you know, mm-hmm. cultures, different backgrounds. So that's kind of what I want to do at the gym. Like you see, everybody talks to everybody at the gym. It's not like one person where everybody's like, I only talk to my trainer. That's right. To, you know, everybody, yeah. my clients talk to all my other trainers' clients or my other trainers and vice versa. That's what I tried to build and working on my second location right now. I might, it's not for sure yet, but there's a gym in East Lansing. Wow. So one of the guys. That would be special. One of the guys, he actually trains with one of my trainers at the gym. They own Title Boxing East Lansing. Okay. So, the, you know, Title Boxing East Lansing, like, you know, Title is not, sure. really, it's not really what it, what it used to be. So sure. Yeah, I was telling them, you know, you, you make it into half boxing, half an opportunity, right? We'll go yeah. in together and we'll, you know, and I, we'll make it work because, you know, I mean, that's my stumping ground. East that's Lansing, right. So hopefully I can get that going. I just want to build as many as I can. Good for you. I know we're coming up on the hour. And before we wrap up, I want to just hit on two quick things and really just round out these themes. Bullying, mm-hmm. therapy, you're pouring into children, men and women around feeling great about themselves, you know, being their best self physically, mentally, emotionally, getting healthy. What do you think is the most meaningful impact that consistently going to therapy has created in your life? It was actually my third, only my third week. Okay. My third, my third week yesterday, but it's okay. just like being, talking to somebody who's not biased. You can, you can talk to your parents, you can talk to your friends. They're gonna have some type of bias towards. You. Hey, no, nah, man, you're good, man. Don't, don't, you know, wow. like it's, you know, every, you, you can't, you can't talk to them. When I talk and like he asks me questions and I just start like flowing, I start to pick up. Okay, that's why. Okay, that makes sense. That's why I feel this way. That's why this happens. And like even like relationships, we talked about it yesterday. Just like one little thing, like us as athletes. That's why I say he does a lot of couple therapy because, like, say you know you have your girl, your wife, or whoever. They're telling you like, hey, I need you to do this. I need you to like take the trash out. There's different ways to talk about it because with us, we're athletes. Now you kind of sound like a coach. We're done playing. Like I told you, I don't watch football anymore. I can't watch it. So now it's it's kind of like traumatic. It's like it's like it's triggering. Now you don't want. Now I don't want to take out the trash because I feel like you're telling me to do it. Like you know, like you, I'm a coach. You're, right. you're, you're, you're this figure that kind of made my life kind of terrible for like you know the past couple years. Sure. But it's like little things like that. Like you don't realize it until like okay, now it makes sense. This is why this, this is why I why. feel this way. Yes. So I think I think therapy. Like you don't even have to be going through anything. It's somebody to talk to. I think everybody should do it. Yeah. Everybody should do it just to get in tune with themselves and just to feel like everybody has some type of traumatic experience throughout their life. I hosted my children Avon Atlas a couple of weeks ago to just talk about going through life at their age and dreaming big and attacking the things that are important to them. We touched on bullying a little bit, but what do people know? What do people or what do people need to know? What do people need to hear from the adult version of you that went through that at such a young age so that they could be better parents, advocates and influencers to their children so that they don't instigate it or so that they don't take it without standing up for themselves. When you have junior what will you do or say to your son or daughter to ensure that they don't instigate it or take crap that they shouldn't? Pretty much, I would just tell them what I went through. You know, tell them what I went through and tell them what every parent what should be saying. Like, treat everybody the way you know you want to be treated. Get them around people that don't look like him. You know, I think that's what the biggest thing is. Like, especially me, I was out in predominantly like white community. They haven't seen, I was the only black kid at the school. And I think they said before me, it was only one black girl in like 10 years. So they're not used to me. They're not used to me being there. And I think that's just, I don't blame the kids. You know what I'm saying? Like the kids, the kids are going to be kids. 
You know, they get it. They It's what they hear at home. It's what they learn at home. And it's just like, it's funny to them. Try to get my kid out of his comfort zone and bring him to different, you know, meet him with different people. Bring him to the gym where you'll see different types of people. Yeah. You know, bring him places where, you know, it's not where you have to like go out of your way to get to know somebody. That's that's the biggest thing. I think everybody just feels so comfortable with the people who look like them. It's tough to like break that barrier because it's uncomfortable. You know, and a lot of people, we as people, we just don't like being uncomfortable. Yeah. So, if, I mean, obviously, if I'm listening well, Taiwan, I mean, one, one thing is to reinforce standards and values with your children, right? Remind them about the platinum rule, the golden rule. The golden rule. Number two, it's help our children become more comfortable in diverse environments. And I love hearing that you're making that come to life through the gym. Right. Just so much diversity within the gym, within community around something that's important, which is our physical and mental and emotional health. So that's awesome that that's going on at Transformation Lab. But number three, it's also model what we preach. Watch what we say, but also watch what we do as parents because our children are watching everything. Everything. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. This was an awesome conversation, Taiwan, man. I'm glad you were able to come in. I know you've been super swamped. I mean, I, I loved hearing about your childhood. I love tapping into that. I mean, just one of the most incredible runs in college football history that Michigan State had with Coach D'Antonio and your teammates. Loved hearing stories about that. I'm so excited for what you're doing with Transformation Lab, but more than anything, Thank you for opening up on topics that take a lot of courage and vulnerability, like depression, like bullying. People who listen to our podcast, they really give us positive feedback when conversations go in that direction because they know it takes a lot of courage for people to open up about it. So thanks for sharing that intimate story with us today. Loved having you on, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening today. If you like what you heard, please be sure to follow us rate and review at the podium on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts also consider telling a friend about the show friend to friend is the best way to get the word out about our podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode the conversation around pursuing some of your wildest dreams what it takes to pursue greatness how to overcome adversity things like injuries bullying depression and most importantly, how to pivot when the time comes to end a chapter and start a new one. Thanks for sharing this time with me in Taiwan. And I hope you listen again next week. 